0: Galatians four twenty one to 31 says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, you who are, who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time when he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born through the, the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman, And her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this text this morning, I pray that you would open up our eyes, the eyes of our understanding that we would see Christ and his finished work, and that we would see Jesus as supremely valuable and worthy of all of our trust, and that we would turn away from ourselves and cast ourselves completely on Him and live in the joy, and as we see here, in the freedom that that brings. In Jesus' name, Amen. This Tuesday, October 31st, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Very interesting. That's right, okay? <clears throat> we, are, we, are, we are heirs of the Protestant Reformation, and we're thankful for that. It's the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther taking his 95 theses, his 95 arguments against the Catholic Church and some of the abuses there, and nailing it to the castle door in Wittenberg. One of the things that was recovered during the Protestant Reformation was the miraculous nature of our salvation. That salvation and the Christian life is not an endless series of cause and effect, right? We do, and then God does, and then we do, and then God does. We do this, and God responds. But it is a miracle. The Christian life is miraculous. If you are a Christian, you are a miracle of God's grace. Right now, you are a miracle of the grace of God. Did you know that? Now, unfortunately, most people in the world approach religion, whether it's Judaism or Hinduism or Islam or Christianity or any other, assuming that the good we receive from God is either caused by us or deserved by us. You guys, you guys heard of karma, right? Karma is this Hindu. it's this Hinduistic belief that one's actions in the past or the present determine their future fate and it seems to make sense to us naturally speaking right a guy's in a in a in a restaurant and he's screaming at his waitress and he stiffs her and barges out the door only to have a speeding car come by and splash through a huge puddle and completely soak him and we think instant karma right that guy was acting like a jerk and he got what he deserved but this is what sets christianity in a category altogether by itself. In Christianity, we say that we don't get what we deserve. And this is to the praise and glory of God's grace. This is what sets Jesus and this amazing family he invites us into in a totally different universe. And we are thankful for this. The Christian message says, that Jesus took on the cross what we deserved. And we're thankful for that, aren't we? If we, had got, if we got what we deserved, then we would get justice from God, not mercy. Mercy is undeserved. We would get justice from God, and we would suffer the eternal consequences of our actions, of our sin. And the Christian message actually says there's a two-way exchange. This is the the miracle of Christianity. It's a miracle from beginning to end. There's a two-way exchange of God's grace. Jesus got what you deserved, and you, by God's grace, get what Jesus alone deserves. So 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... For your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so we get what Jesus alone deserves, namely God's eternal love, God's rich and eternal love and a future that is as bright as a thousand suns. That's what we get. That's what Jesus deserved and we get it by virtue of God's grace. This is miraculous it's not cause and effect it's not well you did enough good and therefore god is giving you this this is a miracle of grace and galatians paul wants you to understand that if you at any level begin to think you are causing god's blessing or that you deserve it then you will find yourself under a legal system building your life on what you can achieve which leads to slavery It leads to enslavement rather than living in the free, in the joy and the freedom of God's free offer of grace through Jesus Christ and living in response to that. And it's so easy to slip into this legalistic or law based system, even for Christians, which is why Paul's writing to a church of Christians. The book of Galatians is written to a church that he had planted and established and was writing to them because some false teachers came in with a message of legalism that you need to add to the work of Christ. And so we can fall into this, and I know that I do, I know that I do, I know that I fall into this at times, I'm running well, as Paul says in Galatians, and then And then I begin to think, well, if I really want to be spiritual or really climb that ladder of God's blessing, then I need to add some additional things to the work of Christ. And Paul says, no. Martin Luther says that in order to defeat this tendency to slip into legalism, we need to beat the gospel into each other's heads. Continually, here's what he said. He says, I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that is the proper office of the law. But the gospel teaches what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe this, And this is the truth of the gospel. And it is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness exists or consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know the gospel, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. And so that's what the church is for. Right? To beat the gospel into each other's heads. I remember hearing once Martin Luther, or not Martin, uh, Tim Keller, based on what Martin Luther had said in that quote, said it's like those old pop machines. I don't, uh, I, I haven't bought a pop out of a machine for a long time, but where you put, it used to be like 50 cents, now it's like six bucks, right? But you put like two quarters into a pop machine, and one of the quarters gets stuck on the way down. And so you got to bang the side of the pop machine so that the quarter makes it down, you can get your pop. He, and, he, and Tim Keller was saying that's what, we do with the gospel. We want to beat it into our heads so that it makes its way down into our hearts, into our souls, and begins to transform us. We we often have lots of correct theology in our brains, but we don't live out the reality of it. So we we need each other's help to do this. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in Galatians, Paul is, is doing this, he's beating our heads he wants, he's, he's, he's using analogies and here uses allegorically a story from way back in the Old Testament so that the gospel goes from our heads and makes its way down to our hearts so that, so that we begin to live out of this place of God's amazing grace. So, this text, these 11 verses tell us that, God, that the Christian life is a miracle of God earned by Jesus Christ. And fueled by grace from beginning to end. And that it produces freedom. It produces freedom. Not slavery, freedom. Not a heavy yoke. The yoke is lifted, right? The burden's lifted off. So Paul shows us this in four steps. Okay? So the Christian life is miraculous, it's earned by Jesus, it's fueled by grace, and it produces freedom. Paul shows us this in four steps. Step one, I'm just going to step through these one at a time, okay? Step one, Paul goes way back to the beginning of the Bible to show us how the family of faith started. We see in Romans chapter 4 that it says that Abraham was the man of faith. And anyone who believes is part of Abraham's family. And back in Genesis chapters 12 to 21, we see how all of this happened, okay? Verse 22, though, before we get into the story of Abraham, Paul is dumbfounded, and he asks this question. He says, let me me read verse 22. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to what the law says? In other words, he's saying, you want to be under the law? Don't you know what the law says? Don't you know what the law requires of you? Do you even know what it means to be under the law? And then Paul does something interesting. He goes back further than the Mosaic law, which is Exodus through Deuteronomy, and he goes back into Genesis to the story of Abraham. He goes back to Abraham and the birth of his two sons, And Paul explains how these two sons came to be born and says that this is to be interpreted allegorically, or in other words, that the the meaning, there's a deeper and more profound meaning than just the mere physical birth of Abraham's two sons. And so let's briefly walk through the story of Abraham. You guys probably know this, but just walking through from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21, it's very fascinating what God does and it shows us how these two sons were born and what Paul draws out here is one was born into slavery and one was born into freedom. Genesis chapter 12, we see God calling this pagan nobody named Abram. He was a pagan. He wasn't a worshiper worshiper of God, more than likely. And God, out of nowhere, calls him and says, Abram, you and your family, get up from where you are and come to a place I'm going to show you. And God decides he's going to start his new worldwide family from which Jesus would come, eventually, through Abraham. And he he gives him this amazing promise in Genesis 12. He says, in you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now at this time, Abraham is 75 years old. Sarah's 65, and they have no child. Okay? Genesis 13. God makes another audacious promise. He says, I will make your offspring, Abraham, as many as the dust of the earth. That's a lot. So I'm going I'm I'm to so expand and give you so many offspring, it's as, not, it's as many as the dust of the earth. He still has no child. Genesis 15, years are going by. God gives Abraham another audacious promise. He says, Abraham, look up at the stars. Look up at the sky and look at the stars and count them if you even can. And he says, so shall the number of your offspring be. Time is passing by. Abraham and Sarah still have no son. They have no child. We get to Genesis 16, Abraham is 85, he still has no child, Sarah's 75, and Abraham and Sarah are like, okay, we need to figure something else out here. And Sarah says, Abraham, here's my servant Hagar, go in and be with her, treat her as your wife, maybe she will give us a son. That will be this promised blessing. And so Abraham stupidly listens to his wife, not, not because he listened to her, but because she told him to do something really bad. And he went into Hagar, and uh, hopefully that didn't come out wrong, ladies. Um, and he went into Hagar, and she did conceive, and she gave birth to a son named Ishmael. When Abraham was 86, Sarah was 76, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. The problem was, God says, that is not the promised, blessed son that I promised you. So we fast forward to Genesis 17. Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah's 89. That's getting old, isn't it? And still, God has not fulfilled this promise to him. But God gives Abraham another promise. And Sarah. He says to Abraham, You are going to be the father of many nations. And he says to Sarah, You are going to give birth to nations. Now, this seems so laughable to Abraham that he laughs. says he laughs to himself. Like, is God really going to bless me with a child this late in life? Genesis 18. God appears to Abraham again. And he says to Abraham, in one year, I'm going to come and Sarah's going to have a son. This son I promised you. Sarah's inside the tent. She hears the Lord tell Abraham this, and it's laughable to her too. She starts laughing. A year later comes, well, actually Hebrews 11 says, Sarah was past the age of giving birth and Abraham's body was as good as dead. And yet Genesis 21 comes, Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old, and it says this, the Lord visited Sarah and did as he had promised her, and she gave birth to Isaac. The miracle child, Isaac, was born. Now, here's the point of all of that, okay? The promised blessing from God to Abraham and Sarah was sonship, was a son, God had promised a son and this son that God promised would not be the product of human achievement. It would not be the product of what human beings can do. It would be a miraculous and divine gift. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? When we read through that story, Abraham's body is good as dead. Sarah's past the age of giving birth and yet God visited Sarah And bless them with this child. Abraham had two sons. Ishmael was the result of what Abraham and Hagar could do. While Isaac was the result of God's promise and accomplishment. Remember Genesis 21. God visited Sarah and did to her what he promised. And Isaac was born Paul says Ishmael, the first child through Abraham and Hagar, was a child of the flesh, and therefore a child born into slavery. Whereas Isaac was a miracle baby, born according to God's gracious promise, and therefore he was born into freedom. He was a child of the free woman. So way back at the beginning of the Bible, we see this gospel truth. God's blessing of you and I being his child is given as a divine gift and not based on what we have caused or what we deserve. Okay, step two. <clears throat> Paul then, after it goes through that story, he connects you and I with this story. And he says this, you too are a child of promise. Verse 28 says this, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is amazing. Paul says, you know Isaac, that miracle child? You, he says brothers, he's not talking to everyone universally, he says brothers, you Christians, you are like Isaac. You are a child of God by his miraculous work. You didn't cause it. You didn't deserve it. He did it. He visited you and caused you to be his child. Verse 29 says that we were born according to the Spirit, which means that if you believe in Christ, there was a whole lot more going on that led you to believing in Jesus And that keeps you believing in Jesus now. There's a lot more going on than just your volitional will that led you to Christ to believe in him and that keeps you believing today. When we think of becoming children of God, we tend to emphasize the human element. Here's what I mean we had, i attended a meeting there was a preacher there he presented the gospel i listened and heard the gospel i realized i needed a savior and then i asked jesus to forgive me and come into my life and amen to all of that that's how many people here got saved you went to a meeting you came went there a non believer you left a believer because you heard the gospel and saw your need and trusted in jesus that's awesome But Paul wants us to realize that there was something otherworldly going on before and underneath and in and through all of that. Namely, a God performing the miracle of raising you from the dead and giving you a brand new heart. There's a song written by Sovereign Grace uh, Music, called All I Have is Christ. I think we've sang it here before. There's a line that says, if you had not loved me first, I would still refuse you. I would refuse you still. If God had not come graciously and acted on us sovereignly by his spirit, you and I would still refuse him today. Some Old Old Testament prophetic texts tell us that it required a major open heart surgery on a dead corpse where God took out a rock that was in the place of a heart, t- tore that out, and put in a heart of flesh, a heart that beat, a heart that beat for him, a heart that now loved him. You didn't cause that. You didn't make that happen. And you didn't deserve it. God caused it, and it was a gift of his grace. Then these Old Testament texts, again, they tell us he put his Holy Spirit in us. Remember from a couple of weeks back, Galatians 4, 6, it says that the Father sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You didn't cause that. God did it. And you didn't deserve it. It was a gift of grace. And these Old Testament texts, they go on and they tell us that God wrote his law on our minds and placed them in our hearts. So it's no longer these external commands, do this and don't do this. But now it's written on our minds and it's put in our hearts so that though we don't always obey, we want to. It's no longer externally coerced but it's 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 written on our hearts so that these good and holy commands of God we want to do them. You didn't cause his law to be written on your mind and heart. God did. And you didn't deserve it. It was a gift of grace. These Old Testament prophetic texts, they go on and they tell us that God put the fear of him in our hearts so that we might not turn away from him. You didn't cause that. God did. And you didn't deserve it. It was a gift of God's grace. And now as beloved children of God, Jeremiah thirty-two forty says, he now rejoices over his children to do them good. And listen to this not moderately, but with all of his heart and soul. I will rejoice over them to do them good with all my heart and all my soul, he says. What did we do to cause that? Nothing. What did we do to deserve it? Nothing. It is a gift of grace. You, like Isaac, are a child of promise. This is summed up in John 1, verses 12 and 13, which says, But to all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are a child of God because of a miracle. I once heard somebody say, anyone who's a Christian, they have been raised from the dead and there is no ordinary resurrection. They're all miraculous and they're all amazing. Now, whether you had an experience like Paul on the road to Damascus or whether you just grew up in a Christian home and just kind of seemed like you've always believed, you at one time were raised from the dead God did heart surgery, place a new heart in you, and that is a miracle of his grace. In order for this miracle of grace to be given to us, however, Jesus had to deal a death blow to the law as it it pertains to us and the law's demands and threats against us. And he did. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of your law breaking, you've broken the law, haven't you? I'm not talking about speeding law, probably that too. But um, you've broken the law of God, and so have I. Because of our law breaking, there was an enormous, unpayable debt that we owed to God, and He could have called it due at any time. But rather than calling it due from us, He required payment from Jesus. The record of debt and all of its demands of retribution and punishment for sin were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. To all who receive him as as our sin bearer, as our savior, receive him today. Receive him now as your treasure, as your greatest joy. Not not as an add-on to your life, but as your greatest treasure. If you had him, it wouldn't compare with all all the gold in the world or all the money in the world wouldn't compare with Christ. Receive him like that. Friday, uh, just two days ago, one word that seems kind of unimportant in this verse, in verse 28, just seemed to jump out at me. And it's this word where it says, you, like Isaac, are children of God, children of promise. You are presently children of promise, which to me seems to imply that not only were we at one time born by God's miracle, but we are sustained and carried along moment by moment, day by day, by God's miraculous grace in our life. You did not cause or deserve your birth into God's family and you do not ultimately cause or deserve your standing in God's family as a child of promise now. It's not as though you need total grace to get into God's family and then a lot of human effort to stay. That would be bad news. That would not be good news. God the Father is utterly committed to keeping you at, by his ongoing miraculous grace today and tomorrow and ten years from now and on your deathbed. When you walked down that prodigal road, whether you remember the day or you're not exactly sure when it was, when you walked down that prodigal road and collided with the grace of God the Father as he ran to meet you, he determined, I will never let you go. Put his robe on you, his ring, sandals on your feet, and he threw a feast on your behalf. Jesus says in John 10, no one can snatch my sheep out of the Father's hand. You, like Isaac, are a child of promise. You are a miracle child, if you will. Step three. As children of promise, we are born into a life of freedom. 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 We are born into a life of freedom. We are born, allegorically, as Paul says, of the free woman, and therefore we are born into freedom, not slavery. Paul says in verse 31 So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You, like Isaac, are a product of God's miraculous grace. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive. When you were not a child of God, he put his spirit of sonship into your heart. Therefore, Paul says, we have been born not into slavery or oppressive legalistic enslavement, but we have been born into freedom where that oppressive heavy yoke has been lifted off of us. God started his family of faith through Abraham and the miracle birth of Isaac. And you too have been born into God's family as a miraculous provision of God's grace. And when we realize this, when we realize, here's what we need. We need to have this beaten into our heads so that it gets down into our hearts. Because when we actually realize this, it produces freedom. It's not... It it, it frees us. It actually liberates us. Now you might say, freedom from what? Well, if we are enslaved to the law, Luther says we are also slaves of sin and death and eternal damnation. That's a bad list. We don't want to be slaves of any of those things. If, however, we are free from the law, or we are freed from the oppressive nature of the law, we are also free from the curse of death and sin and the threat of eternal hell. But there's more. It's not just what we are freed from, sin, the threat of death, the curse of the law, which which is death, and eternal hell, but we are also freed for something. Right? We're not just free from things, but we are free for something. When a criminal has paid his debt to society and done his time and is released from prison, he's not just free from the consequences of his former crimes. He is now free to leave prison and he is now free to do things he was unable to do before. So what are we freed for? Galatians 5.13 tells us. Check this out. It says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. This is what we are freed for a life of love for one another. We are free to love. We are free to love God in return and we are free to love one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. You are not, freedom is not just for you to pursue your own designer life and add Jesus to it. You are free from the law, sin, death, and hell and you are free for love, for loving Here's the question, though. How does grace produce freedom to love? Well, let's first think about what the law does. The law can do nothing except coerce us externally, right? Got these laws here. I must do these things and I must not do these things. They're external to me. I can read them on a page. And do's and don'ts, right? Prohibitions, things you must do and things you must not do. Okay, and the law seeks to motivate us through fear, guilt, or pride. Fear because we don't want to go to hell, so we better do what's right. Guilt because, well, if you're really a good, if I was really a good Christian, I'd probably do these things. And pride because what will others think if they, if I don't do these things? That's how the law motivates us. But grace works much differently. Grace works completely differently. Brian Chapel explains in a new book he's written how God's grace through Jesus Christ produces the heart chemistry that frees us from sin and fuels the Christian life, which is a life of love. Grace changes us from the inside, not externally coercive, but changes us on the inside and motivates us through God's massive, amazing love for completely undeserving people. It's summed up in these contrasting statements. Let me: Legalism says this, obey God and he will love you and accept you as a child. The gospel says this, God loves you and accepts you fully on the basis of Jesus Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Believe that and then obey him. These are a night and day difference, right? One says you do and then God will love and bless you and accept you and the other is God by his Miraculous grace for undeserving people loves and showers them, lavishes them with grace on the basis of what Christ has done. And when we believe this, we obey him out of love and return to him. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 puts it perfectly. It says this, be imitators of God. Now, if it stopped there, that's law. Do it. You better do it. And you better do it really good, too. But it doesn't stop there. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If you belong to Christ, you are a child of promise, born by the Holy Spirit and born into freedom, and therefore live as a child who is free. Step four. Be absolutely ruthless with legalism anywhere you see it in your life. Be ruthless with it. Don't give it any room. Verse 30, Paul says this. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. The law tells us what we must do. The gospel proclaims the happy news of what Christ has done for us. The law leads to slavery, however spiritual it may feel. It leads to slavery. The gospel leads to freedom. You are not under the law anymore. It has been fulfilled for you in Jesus. He fulfilled it for you. So rejoice in Christ and his completed work and refuse legalism any room in your life. Okay? Any time you begin to think, and we do this, oh my goodness, we do this, don't we? Reed said it last week, if I did my devotions today, I feel spiritual and feel like God approves of me now. But if I didn't, oh my goodness. Cast that way of thinking out. Give it No room. Martin Luther commenting on this verse said this. I love this. He says, Our quarrel is not with those who live in manifest sins. Our quarrel or argument is with those among them who think they live like angels, claiming that they do not only perform the Ten Commandments of God, but also the sayings of Christ and also many good works that God does not even expect of them. We quarrel with them, he says. We argue with them because they refuse to have Jesus' merit count alone for righteousness. We argue with them because they, they refuse to let Jesus' finished work stand as the only basis of their right standing before God. Cast out that legal way of thinking. Give it no room. When it comes, (laughs) refuse it, renounce it, repent of it, turn to Christ, and live in the freedom and joy that can only come through him. Jesus' merit alone. Now, that was one of the big issues of the Protestant Reformation. The word alone. Roman Catholics believed you needed Jesus. They, need, they believed you needed grace. They believed you needed to believe in Christ, that you needed to have faith. It was the word alone. It was Jesus alone, grace alone, and faith alone that they had hangups with. The men and women at the the forefront of the Protestant Reformation said it's not just that we need the work of Christ and the merits of Christ. It is Christ alone that we need and and adding nothing to him. Now some might say, but don't we do anything? Don't we work? Don't we do works? Of course we do. But... We work from freedom and not from slavery, right? We, we work not in order to be free, but we work because we are free by God's grace. Or another way to put it, we work from the Father's pleasure in us because of what Jesus has done, and we don't work for the Father's pleasure. And so cast out the slave woman and her son, Give it no room in your home. Give it no room in your heart. Give it no room in your thinking. Give it no room in your house. Help. Let's help each other do this as well, that we might walk in the rejoicing and the freedom. Not freedom from hardship and difficulties. I don't mean that. But freedom from the oppression of the law, not measuring up. Let's cast that off and fix our gaze on Christ alone. When we stand before him, he will be our only hope, right? It's not not even the perfection or the purity of your faith. It is the purity and perfection of the work of Christ, the object of your faith that frees you to live the new life that he's given you in the spirit. I want to just take a few moments here before we close. I want to to pray for freedom this morning for us. Are you living in the joy and freedom of Christ? And when I say that, I don't mean is life easy or do you have a chipper smile on your face? I don't mean that at all. You can live in joy and have also deep sorrow. You can live in the joy of Christ and have Sorrow as well. Paul did. He says, I'm sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You can live in freedom and be going through really challenging things. But what I mean is, are you living in the realization of God's miraculous work of grace in your life? Grace that liberates and frees you from from living a life of performance, pretense before others or trying to perform for God or whatever it might be, and just living in the freedom of God's free grace through Jesus, the the accomplishment of Christ and the unlimited power of the Spirit at work towards you. And I just want to take a few moments to pray here, and I want you to pray with me, okay? If if you would say, "I I want to live in the joy and freedom Christ has purchased for me, Pray that for yourself as I'm praying. And would you also pray for others around here? Not, maybe not someone you have, specifically you have in mind. That probably wouldn't be right, right? You want to focus on yourself. But pray for the church in general that we would be a church that knows the life and the power and the freedom that comes through the grace of God. Jesus said, the one who the Son sets free is free indeed, is, is truly free So, Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. Pray with me, brothers and sisters. Even let your voice be heard to God. Father, we pray right now in the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to accomplish what we could never accomplish. We thank you that in Christ there is true freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we want to do, but freedom to do From a new heart, what is best and praiseworthy and glorious and pleases you and fills us with joy. So, Father, I pray for you to liberate men and women and even children here this morning. God, set people free this morning to walk in the joy and freedom. As the scripture says, rejoice, O barren one. God, that we would enter into the joy of that prophetic declaration. Rejoice, O barren one. We are the heirs of this call. We we are the ones who have come, God, by your miraculous grace from a barren woman, as it were. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that when we look at our lives, we, we realize or help us to realize we did not cause and we do not deserve all the great good and kindness and grace you lavish on us. And let us turn to Christ and have our hearts floating and soaring with him as we behold the one who has caused all of this and who has deserved all of it for us. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and make these truths live in our souls that we would walk out as free men and women vigilantly and and with, with dogged determination saying we are not going back. And when we do, God, we know there's a, there's a short path back into joy and freedom. And Father, I pray in particular for those who find themselves in discouraging situations. They're discouraged. They're even despairing, perhaps. And Father, I pray that you lift them up. God, I pray that you grant them faith this morning, that this word is for them. God, that you're not waiting for them to get to the end of this situation or circumstances in order for them to walk in joy and freedom. But right now, you want to meet them where they are. And God, there there may be some here today who find themselves in a tradition of way of thinking or a tradition where they, they find themselves stuck under the oppressive requirements or the, the oppressive the opp- oppression of their own performance. And father, I just pray you'd help them to breathe in the, the air of your freedom and to fully surrender to that and trust in Christ. God, that everyone here would know that when we stand before you, our only boast is going to be in you. It's not going to be that we did this that one day back in 1987 or whatever. It's going to be Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed me white as snow. Father, we give you thanks for the gospel. It is good news indeed. It is hope for those who are weary it is good news for those who are undeserving and they know it and we just rejoice in that today in Jesus name in Jesus name amen as you, uh, as you leave this morning, find somebody and encourage them, maybe even stop and pray for them, that they would know this freedom more and more. It says that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. And so if today it seems bright or just barely bright, it's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter for those who are in Christ. You're dismissed.